HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. Since 2009, HRN podcasts have been exploring the wide world of food, beverage, and agriculture. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org. This episode is brought to you by Diageo Bar Academy. Learn more at diageobaracademy.com. Well, hello, welcome to All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Sherry Bayer, and it is Wednesday, October 12th, 2022, and this is our 336th episode of this series, which is dedicated to behind-the-scenes talent in the hospitality industry. Today, my guest is a professional scene setter, and we are on location at one of his spaces, and I will introduce him fully in a moment. First, as I do on every show, I will start out with my PR tip. Then later, we will have my speed round game, industry news discussion, solo dining experience, and the final question. As the founder of Bayer Public Relations, I'm going to tip the show off with my PR tip of the week. So today's tip is to reach for the stars. Yes, dream big and go for it. Life is what we make of it. There's not one path for all or limit to what we can achieve. We can, in fact, aim as high as we desire and do our best to attain our goals. And if we fall short, there's no shame in the game, knowing that we gave it our all. So let's remember to never hold back, as success is ours for the taking. That's my tip today. Okay, I'm so excited to be on location, because it's always fun when I get to go on location for my shows. And my guest today is Jeff Katz. He is the co-owner of Alcoro, Mel's, and Discolo, which are all part of 85 10th restaurants in New York City. This impressive space, Alcoro, and all of the three establishments in this space, was previously the home of Del Posto, a four-star New York Times restaurant, where Jeff had been a longtime managing director and general manager. Jeff purchased the restaurant in 2021, along with his managing partner and executive chef, Melissa Rodriguez, and former partner James Kent, who he also previously collaborated with on Crown Chai and Saga at 70 Pine Street in New York City. Alcoro and Saga were each recently awarded two stars from the 2022 Michelin Guide for New York, 
the only new restaurants added among 13 in this category. And that is really impressive. So welcome. Hello, Jeff. Thank you. I didn't realize there's been 336 episodes of this. That's pretty awesome in and of itself. <laughs> you know, I started in 2014 and I just keep going. But yes, I'm kind of surprised and amazed too. But yeah. thank you. <laughs> That's a lot. I mean, you do how often? It's, has it been every week since? It's every week, almost. We take some breaks. Um, my first year, I, I didn't really take any breaks. I think there were like three weeks out of the year I didn't do a show. Um, now we do 36 shows a year. So, wow. um, yeah. Very cool. Thank Congrats. you. Well, thank you. I've You've been on my on my radar list, whatever you want to call it, to come on for, for a while. And I think now this timing with uh, Michelin just coming out last week, it's we have some extra excitement to talk about. But let's go back a bit because your whole career is it's amazing and very impressive from what I know. And I know I'm missing parts. So I like to start with my guests and find out how they got into the industry. You want to, so do you want to take us back a bit? How far back you want to go? Where were you born? How did, uh, what attracted you to restaurants? <laughs> all right. I was, uh, I'm from um, uh, Massachusetts outside of uh, Boston uh, on the North shore um, and like run through the early stuff quickly. 15 years old, mom said, you got to get a job and uh, landed at a little like fancy Italian restaurant in the town I grew up in and did that for, you know, uh, at least until like my freshman year in college um, and learned a lot because it was like a little family sort of owner operator uh, restaurant. It was kind of, it was definitely on the expensive side um, and uh, had no intentions of staying in this industry. Um, but upon graduation, um, a guy who I ended up um, working with during college and uh, other restaurants went off to go open up his own place and he said, hey, do you want to be our wine director, beverage director? And I said, sure. Um, so I went ahead and did that. And that was this uh, really great place um, in Brookline, Massachusetts called La Mora. The chef's name there was Josh Siskin. Um, Really, really delicious, like wood-fired restaurant, really great fresh pastas, that kind of thing. Um, and uh, had a customer that um, came in often, and uh, all my friends from college had moved to New York City um, to do finance and all things related to sort of the more like traditional business competencies. I went to Babson, so Babson was like a business-headed school for sure. Um, and I just kind of wanted to come to New York because all my friends came here. So I came um, uh, and I uh, did wine uh, distribution and sales um, for Domain Select for a little while. Um, but selling wine in New York City is really, really rough. Um, and this was before, like, you had a Vespa. This was like heavy wine bag in and out of the subways. Um, and so I didn't do that for that long. But I learned a lot. Um, and then, at, you know, sort of in a fast forward scenario ended up at del posto like a couple of months after they opened um what was your initial position um i was like a young manager like a very young junior manager i mean i had never i don't even know if i'd ever been in a restaurant like del posto at that stage you know like this place is huge it was twenty four thousand feet and like the what they were trying to accomplish was like way over my head but it was super fun um, and, you know, back at that 
in that time period, like from college visits up to New York City, I would go to restaurants here and bring menus back uh, from Bo from New York back to Boston, sort of like seeing what they were doing in New York City. So I've always kind of been like a into the restaurant world. So what year did you join Del Posto around? Oh um, six, early oh six, like February of oh six. Okay. It opened in December of oh five. And for people who don't know or not familiar, I mean, how would you describe? I mean, it was a very ambitious, gorgeous restaurant. Um, earned four stars after I don't know how many years, but it was two thousand ten. Um, okay, so four years later, yeah. So, I mean, in you, your role. I mean, you were you with Del Posto up until the pandemic. Until I would, I you know, I had the like unfortunate task of telling everybody we were closing on March like yeah. 14th, whatever that day was. Um, but it worked out and, you know, I, along with Mel um, and a bunch of the people that are still here with us um, said we were going to get it back and do something new. And we managed to figure that all out. So feeling pretty lucky about that. Yeah. Well, before we get into the three different restaurant slash lounge that you have on this space. Talk, let's talk a little bit about 70 Pine Street because you, that was a, a big project you were involved in with uh, Crown Shy and Saga, um, which I've been to and they're both um, special, very special. So you want to talk a little about the, what that was when, when they opened? Yeah, we opened Crown in... Uh... I guess it was March of 18. Um, and I did it with James. And at the same time, we were like in conceptualization. We knew that like the, the projects down there were all sort of spelled out. We knew all of them were going to happen. Um, and, you know, had the pandemic not happened, they would have opened probably considerably closer in time. Um, but Crown uh, went first. Um, and, you know, James and I like, came from sort of similar backgrounds. You know, he was at EMP for a long time and I did like the fancy stuff with Del Posto and um, it was for both of us, I think like our first real shot at sort of doing something that felt a little more casual and a little bit more, a little more us. Um, and so the baby that was born was Crown Shy and it was like really successful, really quickly and we had an amazing team like we opened that restaurant with 20 managers who had either worked with me or worked with James and it was a little bit like the Brady Bunch and mm -hmm. it was a pretty awesome opening you know openings are always really they're intense and they're stressful and you know James and I were still learning to work with each other because we'd worked with people on the team but me and him had never really worked together we were introduced through a mutual friend who was in the business Anthony Rudolph oh, okay. um, introduced yeah. us and uh you know, I knew Will, James's, you know, old boss uh, pretty well, but me and James had never really crossed paths. So, um, you know, when you go down and look at the spaces down at 70 Pine, um, certainly when you go upstairs, um, everybody always says, yeah, I'll work here because it's, it's, <laughs> it's an amazing space. And when I went up there for the first time, um, like originally that space was going to be a different kind of concept. It was going to be a little more casual, a little more bar focused. And I was like, James, we gotta, we gotta do like something fancy up here. Like, this is our background is, is that. That's kind of like what we do well. And like, look at this space. Like, we gotta build 
you know, sort of river cafe in the sky for today, right? And uh, Saga was born, and that's where where Saga happened. Um, yeah. yeah. Well, I recently dined there at Saga. I'd been to Overstory too, and it is, yeah, it's just the space itself. Um, it's it's uh, special and and magnificent, and and it was. I had a really wonderful time with. Crown Shy and the project you're working on with there, like you were also still involved with Del Posto. Like you were going back and forth doing both for a while. Yeah, early on I was doing both. Yeah. Um, you know, but when you do an opening, like it, it's pretty consuming. So the the sort of, you know, amount of my time shifted pretty quickly around the opening time. But yeah, it was kind of a, it was kind of all a crazy yeah. period. It's been a crazy like three or four years you know like i don't this one in particular the one that we're in right now like we did you know like we did five openings right like in the last year saga overstory mel's alcoro and discolo have opened and in, you know like it wasn't supposed to be that way like saga and overstory should have opened closer to crown and then this project would have come on board you know, sort of separate, but it was just this like crazy. Yeah. You know. No, time is crazy because I looked back because I did uh, one, one of my, these podcasts with James and um, it was June 2020. And I'm thinking, okay, during that period, it was, I was doing all remote interviews and it was still very early on pandemic times um, and talking about, you know, what, what that transition was. So for you with the transition in the pandemic and getting, so you decided with M- Melissa or Mel to, to purchase Del Posto and change Del Posto into three different concepts because it is a large space. Um, and the first one to open up was Mel's, which I have been to. And actually I talked about it on one of my solo dining experiences. Um, episode 319. There you go. So Anyone can hear my version of what Mel's is on that show, but why don't you tell um, my listeners what's your version of Mel's? <laughs> uh, Mel's was just meant to be a really fun spot. Like, didn't take itself too seriously. All of the um, food in that kitchen is done with wood fire, so the grill and the oven are wood powered, and there's no gas in that kitchen. Um, and you know, like most of the spaces that I have anything to do with, like the lights are low and the music's pretty um, prominent and. Um, we wanted to have a place where pizza could have um, a place in the context of sort of like a full-on meal. Um, New York City has a ton of beautiful pizzerias, but most of them are sort of like pizzas, and that's all they do. Um, we wanted to have more, so we wanted to have entrees off the grill. We wanted to have, um, excuse me, we wanted to have um, you know salads and. Um, starters and all that kind of stuff and then a really killer sort of like ice cream program so we in some ways like just wanted to make sure that pizza had a place in an Italian meal like you know you go to like an Italian restaurant you're like let's do antipasti then pasta then entree we wanted pizza to have a slot um, and so I think that's how most of our guests use the space is that like pizza is part of like a great meal we can go and drink, have awesome wines because the wine list is shared by Alcoro so if you're the type that wants to drink you know, something crazy, it's available. And if you want to drink just something like kind of fun and a little less like chartered, then those wines are there for you too. You also had some nice non-alcoholic options because I got the, the, I think the Chinoto. Oh yeah, the Kinoto. Kinoto. Yeah, yeah, um, totally. Yeah, no, it's, um, 
And you got a really nice write-up from the New York Times at a, in a period where he wasn't giving stars. He's back to the star system. Yeah, we were the last non-starred review, okay. actually. Um, yeah, it was a really it was a really great write-up, and you know, you never know. Like I've I've I have felt the stress of you know what a what a New York Times write-up is going to be like many times now, and most of them were Pete's write-ups, and yeah, you just you don't really know like how he's going to feel about what you're doing um, until you read it. Would you, is it disappointing there weren't stars? I don't know. I'm just it's sort of as a, as someone, as you said, who's. I don't review. really know. I, I think that the, the answer really is that if you get a great review and it get, has great stars, <laughs> you really wish you had them. And if you didn't have yeah. stars and it wasn't going to be great, like what's the move? I, I don't really know. I don't know what the best way of doing it is. I know that, um, I think that certain restaurants, the stars become really powerful. Certain kinds of restaurants, the stars are really powerful. Um, but I think that the like the quality of the write-up, the way he writes about the food, the way he, you know, either talks like you know positively or negatively about it, are in some ways as important. And I think maybe the hiatus from the stars has given the words more sort of importance because for a while we didn't have anything but that. Um, but you know, like the way the way we are now, it's like everybody wants a top ten list. Everyone, everybody wants a grade. Everybody wants a, you know, and like that's how we rank things. But you know, when you've only got four stars to work from, there's a lot of nuance there that only the words can cover. Right. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think people also they want the the quick answer. You know, yeah. like what what is how many stars and the little the little tidbit box you know what to order but um it's a it's a really good read and a really great review yeah it was great so he hasn't he hasn't reviewed el coro yet no no he hasn't reviewed it here all right so we'll see if that's coming but you did just receive two michelin stars last week which is incredible really incredible congratulations thank you very much it was that was more craziness i was just following along on social media um, and I could feel the excitement through my computer. <laughs> so um, talk a little about El Coro and how you've transformed the space. I mean, I told you when I walked in here uh, a couple of weeks ago because I had a Les Dames d'Escoffier event downstairs, and Mel is part of the Les Dames too, and it was lovely. It was our induction, um, members' induction event. But as soon as I walked in, I was like, yeah, oh, I'm feeling it. It's gorgeous, so... Yeah, we um, we did a ton of work to the space. So um, if you'd come in here during construction, you would have seen like subfloor and studs. And the only like really big um, thing that stayed was the sort of mezzanine balcony level. Um, but we moved the stairs that you get up there with. We built a stage for the band. Um, we did. We built a you know sort of another side to the dining room. Um, moved the bar from where it was before. So we we did a lot of work. Um, that is a lot of work. Yeah, we did a lot of work, and. Um, we did it sort of with the idea of, of sort of creating a dining room that felt different than the other one did. Um, and also to sort of um, like give ourselves a fresh start. Like Mel and I spent a lot of time in this place. And so along with that came the benefit of, well, if, with, if this was ever ours, what would we do? And so it wasn't like we got to sit down at design meeting number one with no ideas. We got to sit down at design meeting one with like, here's what we think we want to do. Here's how this should work. Um, and so it was really cool being able to sort of redo 
a space that we knew so intimately. I mean, I can probably walk around this restaurant with my eyes closed, right? And not like fall or trip. Yeah. Right? Um, and and she was a part of the Del Posto team for many years too, before she became executive chef. Yeah, she was. Um, she likes to say that she was the longest standing temporary employee because Mark Ladner <laughs> um, brought her on board to help with the restaurant when it got four stars in 2010 because it was like so busy and we just like needed help. And Mel at the time had left restaurant Danielle um, and was sort of working on what she was going to do next and never left. She came and never, never left. And, you know, like it's restaurants and partnerships are like marriages and like, you know, Mel and I have a really special working relationship that works for us. And then beyond that, like we have a team here that's worked with us for so long. We have so many people here that have like either are approaching or over a decade of time with us. And like, that's the sauce, like that's the glue. Um, and it makes, it makes a difference. Like it makes a difference getting to work every day with people who you want to spend time with. It makes a difference when everybody sort of understands how it makes a difference, how you, um, like make decisions and everyone sort of understands like how your head works. Right. So, so it's just a, it's just a little bit different and it, it's worked out well so far. I'm super happy for Mel. Like, I don't think either of us thought that was going to happen. I'm I'm thrilled for you guys, and I'm I need to. Ha- I've it's not my the first time I've thought of this, but I have to have her on the show too and yeah. get her whole background and story. Um, so that's coming up if you're listening <laughs> um, in the in the future. Um, so okay, and let's talk about this space we're at now. If, let's see, Discola. This is Discolo. Okay. Discolo. Yeah. Discolo. Discolo. Yeah. It's um, we're we're working off some disco esque lights, kind of. Yeah. I don't so know. so well, here's the way the lighting, lighting came about. We oh. um, original. So there used to be a bar on 15th Street called the Passerby, which was a Toby Cicchini, like really small little cool cocktail bar. Okay. And it used to be like the old, the a very very old like kind of OG Del Posto after work haunt. Um, because it was so close and it was really pretty cool. And it had this like light up dance floor that was done by a Dutch artist. And this is like a pre led light scenario. So it was like incandescent and it was like just really awesome light color. And it was done really well. Um, and when it came time to design this space, more or less, that's what I wanted to do, but we're like on the water table here. So going down any further to dig, to make space for the lighting was not an option. So my architects, um, the guys at MN and our lighting designer, David Wiener, decided um, to propose this thought um, that sort of mimicked the light, um, sort of like the glass Coke bottle lights that you might see in the subway in Soho that let light down into the subway. Um, And so that's sort of what this ceiling is supposed to um, evoke, right? Light coming down through the little glass holes um, above your head in the subway. And then it like morphed into sort of feeling like the rest of this room. And, uh, you know, when we did the mood boarding, um, it was a little bit of like, you know, Yves Saint Laurent sort of like um, living room. And then we had like photos of like Wilt Chamberlain's bedroom. And it was kind of like that like 70s sort of cheeky, um, like sort of living room vibes. And that's what we ended up with. So that's what you're seeing. It's very cozy and cool and also has a little bit of like 
John Travolta sort of vibe for me. <laughs> the dance, the dance floor and the ceiling. I mean, it's it's white lights. It's not yeah. it's not all well, that. It's white but, right now, but it, okay. it could be any uh, color, and okay. it could flash later too. Uh huh. Right now, it's on like this is the um so you can see where you're walking setting. This is the the podcast studio. Yes. yes. <laughs> so so what are, what are the hours here and is it only drinks or do you have food down here no it's as just well? drinks and this okay. is eight to two okay every night or just weekend uh wednesday to saturday okay good to and know that might change but that's the, the thing because i'm due to come here to enjoy and have some drinks and i'm due to come for dinner at el coro Gotta which i have to give you a little a little pushback on when i've gone to resi there are not it is not open for solo diners as far as uh, you to make a reservation for one. It, you, it's for two. And because it's a higher priced type restaurant, it's hard. I mean, I do have friends and I'm planning to come in with friends and to come for dinner. But sometimes I find it's easy. Like I want to go check out restaurants right away. And it's hard to make plans sometimes with friends at like that higher level restaurant because not everyone is sure. willing to do like, a two mission star restaurant on a Wednesday just because, but I am. So maybe, I don't know. And I know you also might say to me, well, you just tell me, call, you know, let me know when you want to come in, which I'm sure I could. But is there a reason that there aren't solo, like reservations for one on the system? And well, you know, a couple things. One is um, we've definitely had a bunch of solo diners come in the restaurant. Okay. So um, um, don't forget that Resi's not the only way to book. You can call us. Um, oh, don't forget that we have a human on the other side of a that's phone. That's good to know. And actually, yeah. I am I'm like you know, yeah, being a little sarcastic there. But, but there are some restaurants that don't have phone oh, uh, numbers. Oh, yeah, totally. But, no, yeah, we we, you know. we have a reservations <laughs> so. team, um, and so the phone is there okay. to, to to be used. That's that's uh, on me. Pick um, up phone. <laughs> we also just uh, to address a couple other things. One, um, you can reserve seats at the bar. Okay. Um, and we also serve the we we have an a la carte version of the menu available, so you don't have to do the tasting menu if your friends don't want to do like that. But if you want to yeah. do, I mean, certainly the tasting menu is like the intended dining sort of experience. If you want to, like, and I know you do, like, want to do the whole yeah. thing, then that's the way to go. Um, but yeah. for people who just like want to have a less commitment, that's an option. Yeah, I was going to ask you about that too because I wasn't sure. Um, I'm not sure. Was that from the beginning that no. you had the a la carte? Okay, we started so it recently. Okay. Yeah. And th is there just one tasting or or cuz that I saw on the there's website there's one tasting there's like... but you can like you can basically okay. do like what we'd say the full the full version or a slightly truncated version. But it's the same dishes. Just one has it's just miss essentially the shorter one is missing dishes. That's all. Do you have a I hate the favorite question, but is there a dish on the menu right now that you're just like, oh my god, this is um, there's a ravioli. So this. so there's a I, I always hate to give all the pasta all the press, but at the end of the day, like <laughs> first of all, pastas like these are my favorite foods, and Mel's pastas are like just like otherworldly sometimes. And so there's one on the menu right now. It's like a ravioli dopey. It's like a double sided ravioli. It's half Montazio cheese and half pumpkin in a speck broth with little pepitas on it. It is like, someone told me the other night that it was a perfect dish. Someone who like dines out a lot and claims to be like someone that knows. It sounds like a perfect dish. It was it's super, super good. I mean, the other thing about this restaurant that's I think maybe one of its most unique attributes is that we change the menu like every six weeks. So when you come and eat, hopefully soon, and the next time you come back, like you're not gonna see those dishes again. We'll probably start to carry some of the like, 
super favorites over a little bit for people who like fall in love with certain dishes. Um, but the intention is that there's always some, a new reason to come back. And honestly, for the kitchen team and for the dining room team, at some point, I think when you're doing the same exact thing over and over and over again, it gets boring. And like people come to restaurants like this to work, to learn, to sort of expose themselves to new cooking techniques, how to do research on menus. And even on the service side, it's just nice to have new things to get excited about. So we've done three menus now since June 20th or whatever it was, 22nd. Full changes, not a single carryover. And we go to Piedmont um, is our next like sort of inspiration. And we use the regions not as like um, shackles to have to stay in only regional Italian cooking, but we use them as sort of inspiration for recipes or inspiration for pulling certain ingredients. Um, but then we also look at heavily at like what's happening in New York City in the season, right? Like, um, luckily, a lot of the Italian regions, if you choose them right, they sort of follow New York City and New York um, like produce cycles pretty well. So like, you know, we wouldn't do Sicily in the winter. We do Sicily in the summer. Um, so things like that. And music. You have nightly music. We do. Um, there's a live band every night uh, for service at Alcoro. Um, there's a DJ every night or two DJs a night, actually, at Discolo. Um, and music's like a big part of like kind of who we are. We love, we love music. Mel and I are big fans. Um, and New York City is an incredible place for talent. Like, if, you know, I, and it's open, I've, I've opened my eyes a lot more to it now because now that we're like looking for bands and every single night we need, we need people to be playing, the amount of talent that walks through the door to sort of sing and audition for us is it's like outrageous. You're like, how, how come you're not already some huge famous star? You start to realize like how hard that world is to sort of stand out in. But we have some incredible talent that plays up on that stage. And sometimes they don't even get a chance to really like use it all the way because it's, you know, they're playing during dinner and there's this like really fine line between, you know, what works and what doesn't. But sometimes like they're into it and they're just like doing a song and like they go for it. And it's, they're amazingly talented musicians. Yeah, that's awesome. That's awesome. I mean, I took the, I got the professional scene setter as uh, from your IG, and it's uh, from everything I've seen. I you live you live up to that title for sure. Um, before we take a break, what what would you say are what do you love most about all of this and running restaurants, and what are the biggest challenges? Does does getting two Michelin stars now like add this extra pressure on you? Or have you always, you probably have always had pressure. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's always pressure. I think that like there's pressure before and there's pressure after. Um, there's pressure because you want to get accolades in these kinds of restaurants. You want to, you know, get recognized. And at the same exact time, then you get there and you're like, holy shit, I have to sort of live up to that. And in this case, it's kind of even, I think, some ways harder because we haven't been open all that long. And so it's like we now have all these added eyeballs on us and we have to make sure that we sort of live up to what that is. And the truth is that like, I think that dining is evolving and dining is changing and what people want versus what the Michelin guide wants or, or thinks they want, or, you know, the, the swath of dining public that we get is really, really wide, right? We get, you know, you get international travelers, you get 
culinary arts students. You get, you know, families from all over the country. And then you get like our good old New Yorkers who are like, you know, dying out all the time. And somewhere in there, you've got to figure out how to satisfy all of those people in one room. And the truth is, if you do, you're probably not um, pointed enough in your offering. So it means that someone in that area, in, in one of those sort of classes, isn't going to be happy with what you're doing. And that has to be okay. That has to be okay that people, some people won't like what you're doing because you want to make sure that people who do really love it. And so you've got to lean into something, right? And so, you know, you sort of decide this is what this restaurant's going to do. This is what this bar is going to do. And we're going to lean into that. And hopefully enough people like it. And, you know, luckily it's New York City and there's a lot of people that come through here. Yeah. But, you know, New Yorkers are not the easiest clientele sometimes, right? There's great New York diners and then there's ones that have like, they've seen it all. Yeah. And what do you love the most about this? Like what? what? I mean, the hardest part and, 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 the, and the best part of the people, right? Like it's yeah. always, the, that's the best part of it. Like I'm incredibly blessed to work with a team that I really like to work with. And like, I know a lot of restaurants sort of like people say that that's like, you know, whatever, but I really believe it. And, you know, if I read, if I rattled down the list and I, you should interview the rest of the team one day, you should just hear what they have to say, what they think. Bring it on. Let's just keep going. Let's just, see how many shows I can do. Let's squeeze it, squeeze in the rest of the team. Or just, I, we could have them all down here. We'll pass a mic. Yeah. Like testimonials. <laughs> um, but I mean, that's, that's really what it is. And, you know, like, I think if you don't like people, customers or sort of like your team, you're going to struggle in this business. You have to want to be with them and around them and you have to be empathetic. And this restaurant world has changed, right? And it's a profession. So we all have to sort of treat it as a profession. I just went back and listened to your welcome conference talk and you talked about the other family and your family. As soon as you said that, it reminded me. I was just, yeah, it was a great, it was great. That was, was that year one? That was the first, the yeah, the first conference. Okay, yeah. it wasn't at year one. I've been at at least five now since, but yeah, but that was, that was wonderful. And um, yeah, Thank ties you. it all together. So, okay, on that note, let's take a little break and we will come back. We'll play my speed round game. We'll talk some industry news. I have a solo dining experience and the final question. So stay with us. This is All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. Want to try your hand at the biggest bartending competition in the world? The November 15th application deadline is quickly approaching for the 2023 season of USBG Presents World Class, sponsored by Diageo. World Class US is more than a competition. It offers a great opportunity for cocktail enthusiasts of all skill levels and backgrounds to test themselves, join a community of industry professionals from around the world, and ultimately become a stronger bartender. The global finals for this year just wrapped up in Sydney, Australia, and next year's finals will be happening in Sao Paulo, Brazil. DiageoBarAcademy.com hosts Best in Class, educational content from world-class studios and application details. This is the biggest competition in the industry and applications are open to all hospitality professionals age 21 and over. DiageoBarAcademy.com has all the resources you need 
to prepare yourself to be a world-class bartender. Whether you are a seasoned bartender or just getting started in your career, visit diageobaracademy.com and click on the world-class tab for more information. Again, that's diageobaracademy.com. D-I-A-G-E-O baracademy.com. Must be 21 or over and please drink responsibly. Thank you. Welcome back to All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Sherry Bayer. My guest today is Jeff Katz. He is the co-owner of Alcoro, Mel's, and Discolo in New York City. And we are at his location. And this is the, I guess, what people say, the fun part of the show. Um, it's time for my speed round game. I'm nervous. No, I said fun. Okay. <laughs> Okay, so um, what this is, is I name a couple things and you get to pick your preference, such as chocolate or vanilla. Okay. Oh, chocolate. Okay. See, you're, you, you did natural. well in the test. Yeah. The test question. Okay. Here we go. Eat in at home or eat out at a restaurant? What day of the week is it? Whatever day you want. <laughs> um, I'll eat out. <laughs> okay. Indoor dining or al fresco dining? Indoor. We don't have al fresco here. That's we don't. Something we might maybe, maybe by next summer, but okay. we don't. We didn't. We didn't do it yet. Maybe for Mel's. All good. Don't tell Mel. I won't tell her. Wine, beer, cocktail, mocktail, or champagne? Cocktail. Tasting menu or a la carte? Tasting menu. Small plates or large plates? Large plates. Communal table or chef's counter? Communal table. Do you have a communal table anywhere? No. Okay. Just asking. You have a really nice chef's counter, so, for, great for soloists up at, at Mel's. Yeah, Mel's, that's like the best the best yeah. seats at the counter. Yeah, I had I had the best seat. It's funny when people say, like, I don't want to sit there. And I'm like, this is like that's the best seat. Yeah, if they say that, they're not. Yeah. They don't know. They don't know. Okay. Um, tipping or all-inclusive charge? Tipping. Fine dining or casual neighborhood spot? That's all restaurants <laughs> have a place. It just depends on what you needed to do. Um, but casual spot. Okay, we got three more: yoga or Pilates. Yoga. I did know you had a little yoga connection with yeah, my your family. Yeah, and I'm a I'm a yogi. Even though yogi is such a weird term, but I am a yogi. Okay, cheese plate or dessert? Both. Manhattan or Brooklyn? Manhattan. That's the game. That's it. That's it. Okay, that was easy. Yeah, not that scary. Sometimes people get a little stuck on stuff, but um, have you charted the answers? Is there like a is there a graph somewhere? My father will get a kick out of. Um, talking about him again on the show. Hi, Dad. Um, <laughs> is my official scorekeeper. And um, he he did tally up answers before my, uh, when we hit 100. Um, I don't think we have them um, now, list, you know. Since. Since, but but somebody listening might want to might get on that. <laughs> um, 
Yeah, he scores the game too, not to scare you. But um, got it. I don't. For me, everyone's a winner. And what's been interesting is uh, like the tipping all inclusive charge question. That one always kind of you didn't you you didn't hesitate, but. There was a shift in that, I noticed. I have I, a lot of thoughts on that yeah, for another show. Most people do. And I started the show in 2014, and I think the first year it was a lot of tipping, and then there was a moment where it kind of shifted into all-inclusive, but that one always kind of stumps people a bit and could be a show um, to itself. Yeah, for sure. So, yeah, yeah. No, but it's. I think every time I've, I've, I've done this game every show and – it's it's always there's oh it's always different so um i like it okay so for industry news picked out two articles the first one is in the new york times there were lots of articles on this but i picked out florence fabricant's piece entitled peter luger and carbone among michelin star losers and winners the new york city ratings were announced thursday with the three star ranks unchanged and actually i don't i'm not such a big fan of this title because I'd rather focus on the winners than the losers but she did and nobody's a loser they just they lost a star (laughs) um but uh I guess it's a it's a big deal when a star gets a star gets taken away um but it's also a very big deal when you get stars and so the uh the three or there's the three stars Stayed the same. I think there's five of them, and that's uh, Chef's Table at Brooklyn Fair, Eleven Madison Park, Le Bernardin, Massa, and Per Se. And then you, with me here, um, were the only two restaurants that got two stars uh, that were added, Alcoro and Saga. And um, there's 13 in that category. And then there were um, a bunch of new one stars and some, just I'll note, Dirt Candy got a one star first time. One White Street, newer restaurants on there, and Sema, which um, is an Indian restaurant, very exciting for them to be to get a star. So, um, you want to share any feelings about stars, <laughs> about Michelin? Um, I would say that uh, first of all, because I've been trying to get my way into the the new one stars, because there's so many new restaurants, and I've had such a crazy year of openings that I'm way behind on my new restaurant dining um, that I have a lot, a lot, a lot to catch up on. Um, but it seems like I've been taking, usually take off Sundays and Mondays because those are the days that um, Alcoro is closed. And those days are still, very few restaurants are open on those days. So uh, it's been hard to get into some of those new restaurants because those are the ones that have, uh, that I need to get in and check out. So Yeah. Um, no, Sundays, it's since the pandemic, I think more so, that Sundays and Mondays, a lot of restaurants aren't open. Um, hiring still a problem. I mean, it's 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 pretty easy to figure out why they're not open, and that's what it is. Hiring is still really hard, um, and we can have a chat about that another day. But that's definitely still a thing. I think as it relates to the Michelin Guide, like it, it's an incredible opportunity to get mentioned in that guide, and for so many people who like work really hard, and the guide is for many and like the ultimate um, award or reward or or whatever. Um, I think restaurants like, you know, for, for them to be referred to as losers like Carbone and Peter Luger, like good luck getting a table at either one of those restaurants. Right? <laughs> and like for me, the health of a restaurant is like, can you get in or is the restaurant full? And I know for a fact, both of those restaurants are full of repeat diners every single night. Um, that so. is an excellent 
point. And I do, yeah, I don't, I wouldn't have, I, 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 yeah, I don't think anyone's a loser. I think it's a list and it's, um, and you're absolutely right. Carbone, Peter Luger are, it's, you can, almost, you can't get in. Like they're, they're in demand. They're doing something that, very right that people love. So, um, yeah, it's, um, and all these lists are subjective. It's, uh, but I also, I come from a place that's great to, you know, I want to celebrate restaurants and the work you guys do. So, um, I appreciate that. Well, I mean it and you're welcome. I, I think it's, um, people, I mean, there's any, just look up Google Michelin stars, New York, and you'll find, um, lots of publications covered this and you can see the other restaurants that are included that have been on the list for a while and the new ones. And it's, it's great. Um, we, we are spoiled here in New York City, for yeah. sure. So congratulations to everyone. Um, another piece I just wanted to touch on that caught my eye that was a very happy, I thought it was a happy story. Um, in the Washington Post, it's entitled, These Cities Turn Parks into Orchards Where Anyone Can Pick for free. In the United States and elsewhere, land is being converted to offer free fruits and vegetables, no questions asked. And this is by Kathy Free. And this is the first I really heard about this. There's, um, it, it mostly started over in, in, in Europe and in Germany. There's uh, uh, an organization called Edible Cities Network um, that started, I think, in 2018. And they're, they're building their they have all these orchards they're putting into cities where people can come and take fruit and no, you know, just to, I don't know. I thought it was a very nice thing that's happening across cities. And they said it's starting in, been starting in the U S too, in Atlanta and Detroit, Los Angeles. Um, I wasn't exactly sure how these are being funded. I think as a nonprofit behind them, it said, um, there was funding from the EU on the ones that were in Europe, but, I don't know. I thought that was cool to have. No, it sounds super awesome. I um, hadn't heard of it either, and I read the article you sent me over, and I have no idea, like, how it actually could work. And I guess maybe my head's sort of stuck in, like, these major cities with tons of people and, you know, the amount of fruit trees you'd need to make an, even a dent in that. And I actually took my kids apple picking over the weekend, so I have an idea. Yeah. Well, I guess it's the same idea. Well, it also said in this piece that... They haven't seen people abusing it. Like, it hasn't been a problem for that, like, taking more than, you know, taking all the apples. But I think from having gone apple picking, like, there's only so many. Yeah. Like, you start you start taking them, and then you get to a point, like, how many, yeah, I, I got I got my little basket. Once the apple's gone, it's gone for the season, right? Yeah. So. So. But it's all, it's an awesome, it's an awesome idea, that's for sure. It is an awesome idea, and I, I look forward to seeing how this develops more. I think it's, it's fairly... Fairly new in general and definitely new for the, the United States. So um, we'll see if we get that in in New York City at some point. Um, okay, so for my solo dining experience this week, I went to a new place called Nubelez by Jose Andres. And here's the rundown. The location, 25 West 28th Street on the top of the Ritz-Carlton, New York Nomad in New York City. The concept, elevated cocktails, stunning views, a light box in the sky, offering modern interpretations of classic cocktails in small bites coupled with a remarkable 270-degree 
view of the New York City skyline. The chef and owner is everyone's hero, my hero, Jose Andres. And culinary director is Joris Larigald. So why did I go? Well, this place recently opened. The hotel is fairly new too and sounded fantastic. And it's Jose. So, I mean, for all those reasons, I went. My experience. So I had a pre-dinner reservation. Um, I went early on a Sunday. Just got, um, I, I went into the, I got a spot for one. I went into, through the hotel, um, took an elevator up. They said I could have a table or sit at the bar. I opted to sit at the bar, which is in the center of the room. Um, I had lovely service. Uh, I went outside at one point. There's two balconies on each end. Uh, I went towards the one where the sunset was, and it was very windy that night, so it got very windblown. But I met the culinary director. He was out there, and um, I saw some industry friends when I was there, too. So I had a nice time. So what did I get? Well, I got, they had a spirit-free section uh, of cocktails. So I went with the squaring the circle cocktail with Kentucky 74, Lear's Amaretti, Maple, and Cumin Inkter. And I had a snack of Labne with Jose's potato chips. And I had it with Salmon Roe. There was an option on that. Um, and also had Zatar and fresh herbs. So my take, well, it was it was an excellent uh, spirit-free cocktail. Uh, I'd say it was felt like one of the most grown-up drinks I've had recently because basically Kentucky 74 resembles bourbon. So it was kind of like having a bourbon in a rocks glass with a huge, large ice cube. It was fancy. Um, had a little orange twist on it, uh, smoky flavor. Liked it. And then the labneh with salmon roe and potato chips was a really excellent snack. Um, just very tasty. Went well together. So the ambiance. So it's floor-to-ceiling windows. Uh, it's on the 50th floor of the Ritz. It's very, I'd say, kind of like swanky and glam, but also has these like plush, velvety lounge seats um, and, and colorful lighting. And um, the bar in the middle just kind of glows. It's a, it's a very beautiful space, I would say. I'd say it's perfect for date night or drinks with friends. Interesting tidbit, the name Nubelos comes from the Spanish word for cloud, which means noob, which is noob, and light, which is lose. Because I hadn't heard of that word before, and I don't even think I'm saying it correctly, but <laughs> I'm close. I'm close. Okay, personal fun fact. Afterward, I met a friend for dinner at Coleman, which is Marcus Glocker's new restaurant that opened at the Ace Hotel, where the Breslin used to be, and we had a fabulous dinner there. The cost of this meal at, or this snack and drink at Nubelo's was $34, not including tax and gratuity. It's definitely not a cheap place to go. It's part of the Ritz. But if you're looking for a little, little like fancy place to meet for a drink and snack and a gorgeous view, I would recommend it. Um, so yes, I would go back. And um, their website is Nubelo's by Jose, um, and also Nubelos by Jose um, on Instagram, and Ritz Carlton, New York, Nomad. And it's N-U-B-E-L-U-Z. Nubelos? Nubelos? I don't know. Jose Andres. There you go. Have you heard of this? Have you been? You've I've been, been busy. Yet, but I, You've I been heard, busy. I know where it is. I kind of live near there, so I have to get over there. But now that all these things are open, yeah. hopefully we'll find some more time. 
Well, Nomad, Nomad is that area. I mean, it was really, I feel, developing a, a lot before the pandemic and then kind of had a little lull. And I feel like it's it's coming back, coming yeah, back. So. A, lot of, a lot of great places over there. Okay, so it's time for the final question. My next guest is Amy Eberling. She is one of the original bakers and current partners at the legendary Zingerman's Bakehouse in Ann Arbor, Michigan. And I went to University of Michigan, so go blue. And I've been to Zingerman's, and I'm very excited to chat with her. Uh, but what I would like to know from you, Jeff, is if you can ask her a question. Yeah, I'm familiar with the Zingerman's and the whole thing. I've actually done a bunch of really awesome, like, Zing train things with um, with my team and, and their training team. Um, so I would say to you, how do you take the – um, sort of the Zingerman's uh, philosophies and apply them um, to the baking department. Great question. Cool. Yeah, I feel I feel it's interesting because I obviously, having gone to school there, know of it. Um, but it's they're they're known around the world. I mean, they're yeah. they, so I'm excited to chat with her, and um, I was have been very excited to chat with you. Thank you for having me. Thank you. And for sharing your stories with us. And um, yeah, what you've achieved is phenomenal. You should be very proud, I would Thank say. Thank you for your support and for the, for the industry support. Oh, you're very welcome. And I'm, I'm coming in soon. I'm coming back to all your spots. Let me know. Let's get you that solo seat. <laughs> yeah, I didn't mean, I, I can, as I said, I don't have to come solo, but also I, I may, I don't only have to come once. I can it is come a fun solo. meal to eat with uh, with friends because it's yeah. a there's a sort of a little flourishy thing at the beginning where it's nice to like have people to eat it with. I will. I'm gonna do both, and um, I like solo. I like tasting menus solo a lot though because you can really focus on what's happening, the whole experience. Where sometimes you get distracted, but at your experience might be different than anything I've had before. It sounds like it is. Let's so. see. Let's see. And everyone else should check it out, too. Um, thank you, Jeff. Thank you, Eric. My guest today has been Jeff Katz. He is the co-owner of Alcoro, Mel's, and Discolo in New York City. And his websites are alcoro-nyc.com and mel's-nyc.com. And do you have a third one? Yeah, there's a Discolo website, too. It's probably discolo-nyc.com. Yeah, why not? <laughs> Maybe, maybe. And and he's on social at JeffCats411. JCats411, I think. Oh, I okay. Remember. Find him. Alcoro.nyc, Mel's underscore NYC. Um, and you can follow me at Sherry Bayer at Bayer PR and at All Industry. My Facebook page is All in the Industry. My website's BayerPublicRelations.com, SherryBayer.com, and AllInTheIndustry.com. All of our shows are archived at HeritageRadioNetwork.org. We are also on iTunes, Stitcher, and Spotify. Thanks to my engineer today, Kevin Chang Barnum. And thanks again to Jeff. I'm your host and producer, Sherry Bayer. I will be back next week with a new show. Hope you'll tune in then. And thank you, as always, for being part of All in the Industry. Bye. All in the Industry is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network. Food radio supported by you. Keep in touch at heritageradionetwork.org slash subscribe.